Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Devil in the Detail. I'm joined by my co-host in Deal. Um, I'm Deck, and uh, this is a brand new fo- football podcast, mainly Manchester United orientated, but we're going to cover all the big news and events and results that are happening in football as well. It's kind of an introduction to ourselves. Uh, we're going to talk about, first, our, our current stance on this uh, Man United squad, how the season's gone so far, and it, whether we're Oli in or Oli out. So, Dill, I'll move over to you, uh, first of all. So, what's your stance on the, the squad in Oli? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a bit of a tricky one for me because I've said on social media recently that I'm getting towards the Oli out stage now and if we keep losing games, then that's going to be my opinion. But I still want to see him succeed. It's, I think it's because he's an ex-United player, he's a legend. All the fans, or most fans, love him anyway. So he's getting a bit more time than other managers like Van Gaal and Mourinho did, which I think is something that the Glazers knew about when they brought him in, to be fair. It's not his fault, but it wouldn't surprise me. Um, but it's it's not it's just not looking good. I mean, it, the results aren't there. I mean, before at the start of the season, the football wasn't there, but at least the results were there. But now, over the past four, five, six games, neither's there. And when you've been at a club for three years, nearly coming up in December, you've brought in one of the best centre backs in the world, arguably the best young winger in the world, and Cristiano Ronaldo. Then he's going to run out of excuses eventually. But um, yeah, for now, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna change my tune and say I'm currently Oli in. I know I said on TikTok that I'm not, which some people might have seen, but you know that was the heat in the moment. I was a bit drunk, so it's all right. So I'm gonna be currently Oli in. Um, back him until the end of this run. I mean, we could lose against Leicester and and in the Champions League to Atalanta, but then if we go on to the end of that run and win every other game, then your stance might change. I'm gonna give him till the end of this run, kind of towards Christmas time, and then we'll see where we're at. Because I don't want to tear it all up and throw it all away again. Bring Conte in, who I think would be terrible for the club. I know he's won things and he's proven, but he likes to play a completely different system. I don't think he'd get on with some of our current players. And we'd have to f- sell a lot of players that we've recently bought and players that are doing well at the minute. Maybe like a Wan-Bissaka who can't play wing-back. Sure, he's not very good at wing-back. And just start again like we did with Mourinho and Van Gaal. And I just don't think that's a solution. So I think, yeah, we'll keep him for now. See how we do. And then Christmas time comes round. We're looking like we're coming out of the top four battle, which we shouldn't even be in anyway. We're out of the Champions League. Then maybe it'd be time to think again. But I think the, one of the other reasons I'm not massively bothered is because there's not one manager out there that I really want. Like when when Van Gaal went, we all, I mean, stupidly of us all, but we all wanted Mourinho. We're all excited about Mourinho coming in because we thought it's still Mourinho. He's still great. What's a couple of bad years at Chelsea been? And look how that went. And there's no current manager out there at the minute. I know Zidane's won three Champions League, but there's no one out there that convinces me. Like if maybe Hansi Flick wasn't in the Germany post at the minute, I might think, yeah, let's get him in. It's a great opportunity. But I think, you know, Zidane, Conte, maybe even a Pochettino, I don't think they'll do definitely better than Oli's doing now. And I want to change a lot of things. So that's that's why I'm currently Oli in. What about you? Yeah, I think I have a very, very similar standpoint to you. I think he's kind of, it is obviously things do need to change. We've had a really, really poor start. Uh, and this is going to be make or break season for Oli, given the players that we have signed in the summer. Um, but I think he's deserved the opportunity to like have the time to turn it around. Like we've improved season upon season up until this point. And I just yeah. think it's, um, I think it's too early in the season to to say that, you know, he's he's going to fail this season. 
it's still we could still make it through the the, the Champions League group, and in fact we're, we're expected to make it through the group uh, and push on, which again would be an improvement, but the bar was low. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, in the Premier League, we we still in with the in with the shout. I mean, uh, 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 the title. If yes, we've had the easier running of fixtures. We haven't faced anyone in the top four yet, but we're still. Um, we are still there. So, like you say, we've got a really difficult run coming up. Um, mm-hmm. I think around Christmas time, it's like we we haven't got a an easy fixture until December. So, give him that run, and then we can kind of reassess the situation uh, in, in in December when we've had that quite a, quite a difficult run. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's that's my standpoint on Oli. Very similar. We're in the we're in the same boat on that one. Um, yeah, I was just I was just gonna say. I think. Like you said about us having a, a very easy run compared to some other people, I don't think some fans are taking that into account as much. Like I've seen, like I'm as Ollie in as an ex person, but then there's some people who are Ollie in on Twitter and TikTok and stuff, and they'll say we're only two points. I know it's it's a valid point that we're only two points off Chelsea. I think we're level with Man City and a point behind Liverpool. But when you take into account that Chelsea have played, like you said, Chelsea have played Liverpool and City. Liverpool have played Chelsea, City have played Liverpool and Chelsea, and where we've played West Ham, Southampton, Everton, Wolves, Leeds, and we're still two points behind Chelsea, who played the two biggest teams in the in the league other than them, one of the halves with ten men as well, and there's still two points ahead of us. It just doesn't bode well. But um yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's still it's still early. I think there's only been like what, six, seven games this season. So, and we usually turn up in these big games, and you know, when when the chips are down, Ollie turns into Prime Sir Alex, doesn't he? Yeah, so we'll and see it. We'll see how it goes. I think the two seasons. I mean, last season we had an awful, um, like we're in the table of top six, we're playing each other. We were like bottom, but the season before yeah. that we were top. So you know, one each. Let's see what this season holds. Whether whether we can, you know, show up in... I think he did play a counter-attacking style a couple of seasons ago that got us the result, but, you know, the, the W is the most important thing. Uh, yeah, and... it'll be interesting to see... Sorry to cut you off. It'll be interesting to see how that changes as well. Like, now we've got better players and a much better defence, albeit that Varane and Maguire are out against Leicester, but we'll get to that in a preview. Mm-hmm. But it'll be interesting to see if we try... Like, Gary Neville says a lot when he commentates on United. You see Liverpool, City's, Chelsea's defences, no matter who they play they're in the opposition half. And United do that in spells, but don't do that for the whole game. Like, I think in, in some games this season, like against Villarreal, me and you were both there. In the first 10 minutes of pretty much every game we play, the defence is right up in their half, are properly going for it. And then it seems like if we don't get that goal, we peter out and revert back to counter-attacking. So it'll be interesting to see how he approaches the game, given that he's got a better squad. But I think especially if Varane and Maguire is still out when it comes to playing Liverpool and City, I think it'll be a counter-attacking. Maybe Diamond again with Pogba on the wing. And, you know, if it, it might get a result, but we need to move on from that and try and be a big club and stop playing like we're, you know, we're West Brom playing away at Man City and play like Man United away at Man City like we used to. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. We definitely need to, instead of relying on that counter-attack, because it doesn't bode well when we kind of have to transition into playing against smaller teams um we yeah. can struggle to break teams down at, at, at times you know we're not implementing our own kind of um style of play i guess um, yeah which here all the time on yeah, about Ollie. yeah, you yeah. Hear that all the time against ollie right mm-hmm. i'm going to move on to the uh the it has been uh the international break 
So we have had a rest from Manchester United and given the uh, the start to the season, that was quite a quite a nice little <laughs> little rest. So yeah. um, we've we've had the Nations League, and I just wanted to touch on uh, how how do you think? Well, what do you think about the Nations League for for a start? And you know, how do you think it kind of compares to like the the World Cup qualifiers? Are you happy to see the Nations League uh, matches or? Or yeah, what's your current stance on the on the, the Nations League? Yeah, I mean, it's not as exciting as a World Cup or a Euros, is it? And you can tell the players think the same. Because when you saw France lift that trophy, you know, obviously they see it as a good thing, but it's not amazing. But I do think it's, it adds a little bit of spice, you know, to, to international football. You don't want to see, as, as big-headed and selfish as it sounds, you don't want to see England play Andorra and San Marino every time. That's why people hate international breaks. Because especially if you're a fan of a big team and you go from watching your team playing the Champions League and playing massive games with all like these star names and then you go and watch England pan San Marino 8-0. Even though they win 8-0, it's not entertaining because you just know what's going to happen. I mean, I suppose the result yesterday that we're going to get onto kind of changes that a bit, but it's not, you know, Hungary and San Marino aren't quite the same. But yeah, the Nations League adds something entertaining to it. Like, I'll admit myself, I didn't watch all of the game last night against Hungary. I didn't see any of the game against Andorra. And maybe I'm not an avid enough fan and I should do that, especially for doing a podcast. But like, if you're playing them or you're playing a Nations League game against Spain or Netherlands and there's a trophy on the line, obviously it's more entertaining. Um, I was just going to mention as well, I've seen people mention maybe doing qualifiers for tournaments like the Euros in the World Cup in a monthly kind of slot. I don't know if you've seen this. So rather than there being... like, So there's been an international break now and I think there's another one in four weeks. Rather than keep chopping and changing and doing this and sending players who might have played in the Champions League in Turkey on a Wednesday and then you're playing away at San Marino on a Saturday to just play the qualifiers in like a one-block thing, kind of like a tournament to make it a bit more exciting. So, you know, if England lost one game, then you know you've got to win the next. Do you know what I mean? Like like yeah. you're watching. It's not knockout football, but it would make it more exciting and it'd be easier on the players. And then once you've got that done, you know where you stand for the World Cup, the Euros, and clubs can just go throughout the season and play normally yeah. and it's not all these little interruptions and I think especially with the World Cup coming up in at fucking Christmas time next year I think it'd be something decent to add but I don't know what you think on that but yeah the Nations League is a good thing um, it's more entertaining than watching World Cup and, and Euro qualifiers so it's just a shame England weren't in the, the um, semis and finals like we were a couple of years ago yeah I, I mean I'd agree with that I, I would say um, so what I would prefer that sounds better than the current format but I would like, I know this may be, I think people from San Marino would hate this and people from Andorra would hate this, but I think just if there was like kind of qualifiers before the qualifiers, like just San Marino and uh, Andorra have to play each other to actually get, so it just frees up some of the slots because it is just a, it's just a game, it's just a nothing game because you know they're going to, against San Marino, I mean, it's great for them, must be great for them, but uh, yeah. You know, it's just such a pointless game, honestly. Uh, so, to, if they had qualifiers before the before the qualifiers, and they were not just there because they're a they're a country, like they've actually yeah, yeah. had to qualify to get there, they've actually earned the right to play against, say, uh, you know, the, the the big nations. Then I yeah. think that would be my, you know, it would it would free up a, a, be a lot less games uh, for the players as well. Um, yeah, that's what that's what I, I would prefer. Um, and yeah, in the Nations League, I I really have enjoyed it. 
really have enjoyed it. The um, the semi-finals and final were both. I didn't watch the third place trophy, which I don't. I think the yeah, third place in the World Cup's like pretty dumb. So never mind the Nations League. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the semi-finals, both semi-finals were were quality. The final was a dead game up until sixty minutes, and then it all came alive. Um, yeah. But yeah, the the quality of the games was was really really high, and you know it was. It was, yeah, I, I enjoyed it and I much preferred it. I, I preferred that watching that than what I did both of the England games. Um, yeah, I was yeah I was going to say, I think I actually watched more of the Nations League finals than I watched of England's qualifiers. Yeah. <laughs> which, you know, it's a dangerous thing to say because it sounds like we want, like, like, we're advocates of the Super League or something because we want to see big teams play all the time. But, yeah, it's definitely more entertaining. Like, you want to see more quality football. And like you said about... Maybe Andorra, Faroe Islands, San Marino haven't to qualify. It's a bit like if you look at like the League Cup format or the FA Cup format, where like the bigger clubs come into it, at, like the third round, which mm-hmm. might seem a bit of a big-headed thing to do, and I think it might be a bit tricky to get across the line. But I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. Maybe if they just had a group of like Armenia, Fer- Faroe Islands, San Marino, Andorra, etc., in a group, and then two of them got through. Because it's not like, if you look at the, the actual group tables for this qualifying for the World Cup, there's not the same amount of teams in every group. So I think our group might have five. Germany's group, actually, I think in Scotland's have six. So they play more games. Mm-hmm. So it's not like there's an actual reason to have it, other than, like you said, they're a country in Europe, so they must qualify, which is a bit ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. So now we're going to focus on a specific player from England, and that is Jaden Sancho, also obviously a United player as well. Um, he managed to grab himself a couple of assists against uh, Andorra, but he's find found life a little bit difficult for United at, at the start. Obviously, early days, mm. there are some people on socials calling him a, a massive flop. Uh, after his transfer. Yeah. So yeah, what what are your kind of thoughts on Jaden Sancho's kind of start at United, and you know how his uh, his performance in England, I guess. And Gareth Southgate's comments as well, saying that if this, he was judged on form, he wouldn't be in the squad. But um, you know, he's allowed him. He's a young, young lad, so mm. you know, he, he's, well, he's included him in the squad anyway. Yeah, well, I think straight away that comment's just fucking absurd, to yeah. be honest. I mean, you look at Mason Mount, and I don't want to just single out a certain player, and not because he's a Chelsea player or don't like Chelsea. Yeah. But if you look at a player like Mason Mount, his form this season has been shocking. He still started for England yesterday in the bigger qualifier of the two, and we're shocking again. Do you know what I mean? And so, and he's a young lad as well. So to specifically call out one young player who hasn't been performing this season, yeah. when there's a whole host of them that are still your favourites and the boys that you love that you call up and play without fail, no matter how well they play for the club, seems a bit hypocritical. Um, but yeah, we've started on the whole. I mean, I've seen, to be honest... I think the consensus is, the general consensus from most United fans is he needs time. Like, I haven't really seen any United fan at all really slag him off and say that he's he's not good enough or we shouldn't have signed him or he's a flop or whatever. I think he's a young lad. He's not long-term 21. He's only actually got three seasons of senior professional football under his belt. He might have played in England before, but he never actually made a senior appearance in Man City. So it's basically his first time playing football in this country at this level. He's gone from a club in Dortmund that are a big club but aren't on the level of United and don't have the same shot, spotlight shined on them, especially with the English media nowadays. Um, and we haven't been playing the best football either. You know, it's not like it's we at the start of the season. I thought it'd be a great environment for him to come into. 
I mean, we lost the Europa League final, but we finished off last season okay. Came second. Things seemed on the up. We brought some great players in with Varane and Ronaldo as well. So I thought he'll come into the environment and hit the ground running. But obviously, I don't think the fact that United have had injuries, haven't played well, this pressure on the manager has boded well for him. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think we'll see him come alive soon. I mean, he got two assists for England the other night. He looks a lot better. Maybe his confidence was a bit low. So I expect him to start against Leicester. And like I said, just give him time. He's a, new, he's, he's a young lad playing football for a massive club, one of the biggest clubs in the world, in the new league for him. So, you know, you, you can't expect him to come in like Cristiano Ronaldo, who's a season pro at 36, and start banging the goals in and assisting goals. Some players might do that. Like you look at Damari Gray, who's got a much worse reputation than him. He's coming and hit the ground running. But some players are different, and it's a psychological thing as long as as, as well as a... Uh, a football ability thing so you know I think I think we'll see him come into his own and by the end of the season everyone will be rating him as much as he did before he came to United yeah I'd agree with that and I'd you know to to add to that I think it took him I think more than five games to register a goal or assist for for Borussia Dortmund when he when he Mm. uh, transferred there so very similar situation to touch on what Gareth Southgate said like right at the very start um I think I think from what I've seen from Sancho, he looks like he is a confidence player. He looks, he looks like he needs that confidence. So to say that, like, often, yeah. when it's it's unnecessary because you have picked him, like, it's just an unnecessary comment to make. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's a little bit ridiculous. Um, he didn't. He didn't even caveat caveat that with saying like, but you know, we we see what he does in training. We know he's a really great lad. He's going to be a great player for us. He literally just dug him out and said nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, why bizarre. why even select him if, if if you know that that's that's your thoughts? But uh, yeah, he's proven out to be good, and obviously got a got a couple of uh got a couple of assists. Didn't start the next game, and think he didn't even come on on the pitch. So I mean, I don't think um, so. But yeah, it's obviously we are going to touch on Rashford coming back, but um, it, later in the podcast. But he's going to probably be shifted to the right hand side, so that might give him a. You know, a change of position might actually might actually help him. As he had, you know, struggled a little bit on that on that left hand side. A change of position might help. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's early days, isn't it, mm-hmm. in Sancho's career? And honestly, I do think we're going to look back. Uh, he's going to be for, forced to start. He's going to be forced to kind of play into form because you can't keep him on the bench, not with the, the amount of money that you spent on him. So he yeah, will exactly. be he will be played into form, I think, or given the opportunity to be allowed to to play into form. Um so yeah, I, I'm I'm still very optimistic about about Sancho, obviously. Uh yeah. I mean, the people just being completely irrational and uh saying that he's a flop and stuff. Uh, you know, I got I got no time. No time for those kind of people. Yeah, or like, like you said as well, like He's, he's not started every game. Some some games he's started, played actually all right. He's been hooked after an hour, which I don't know if it's a fitness thing or whatever, but just looks bizarre. Some games he's come off the bench and only played 15 minutes. Some games he's played left wing. Some games he's played right wing. Sometimes when we're going for a result, he'll play in a number 10. Mm-hmm. So like I said earlier, it's not like he's been plopped in at that right wing spot with his full strength team who's flying and not succeeding. No one's doing well at this club at the minute, not even Cristiano Ronaldo. So... How you can expect him to do well when the team's like it is coming into a new club, I think's a bit a bit ridiculous. But yeah. when you've got a price tag of eighty million quid and you're playing for Man United, everyone's gonna expect you to be the best thing since sliced bread. So it's just a pressure he's got to deal with. Yeah. And I think he will do. I think he will do. So moving yeah, on to um 
A couple of more England players that in talking about the team selection again and Gareth Southgate, which I find it difficult to criticise the man because, uh, I mean, he's been the most successful manager. He's been the most successful period for England since 66. But, but, I mean, the exclusion of both Greenwood and probably even more ridiculous than that Jude Bellingham from the squad. I mean, give your your thoughts on that. Um... I think with the Greenwood one, obviously know a bit more about that because he plays for United, and it seems like there's some bizarre agreement in place between Southgate and Solskjaer that he's not playing for England at the minute. From the stuff that Ollie said in his press conferences, it sounds more like he's asked Southgate not to call him up, which I don't really get why. Obviously, there's something going on under the surface behind the scenes that we don't know about, but I do find it bizarre given that he's starting pretty much every game for United. He's probably been our most informed attacking player anyway this season by some distance. I know Ronaldo's got the goals, but Greenwood has been really good and looks more threatening than any, any other player on the pitch for us and can finish from anywhere. So I do think it's a bit bizarre. I mean, he still is only 19 and England have got a wealth of attacking options up front. Um, but I do think it's a bit weird not to have him in your squad, even if he wasn't on the best form. I mean, like when you're looking at you know, they took took um, Kane off for Abraham yesterday, and then he got a knock. And then you having to bring Ollie Watkins on. He's a decent player, but do you not think a player like Mason Green would do a bit? He's a like he's nineteen. He's I'm sorry, he's on a different level of footballers like that. He just is him in the likes of Bamford. So why you call someone like that up over Greenwood, who's got bags of talent? He's going to be in the squad for years to come. And let's be honest, Watkins wants Greenwood and Saka and Foden cement themselves a bit more. Isn't going to be anywhere near the squad. It just didn't make any sense to me. And then you add in that he can play left wing, right wing and striker and he can change a game and he's a game changer. It's just a bit bizarre. Um, yeah, with the Bellingham thing, I'm not too sure. I feel like in my ideal Euros 11 from last year, well, from this summer, he would have started for me on paper. I mean, Southgate didn't play him. Well, he didn't take him. Did he take him? Yeah, he took him, yeah. He did, yeah. He didn't, he, he didn't play at all, really, I don't think. But... Um, I mean, it proved right because he played Phillips and Rice and then he played a bit more of an expansive midfield yesterday and look what happened. But um, yeah, I do think he should be... Obviously, I think it's important to manage these players, like the young players, and not throw them in at the deep end straight away like maybe they did with Rooney years ago and Owen and players like that. But I think if you're going to be an established member of the squad and going to be in the squad for the next 10, 15 years and it is good experience, so it does seem a bit bizarre, um, especially when we don't have a massive wealth of great midfielders. I know they're all good, Rice, Phillips, Henderson, people like that, but there's not any world beaters in. Do you know what I mean? It's not like we're prime Spain in 2010 you shouldn't get a sniff. And especially when you think none of those three midfielders that I've mentioned have got nowhere, have got nowhere near the attacking technical ability that Bellingham has at 18 years old. Yeah. So it just does seem a bit weird not to have that other option there if you want to change the game a bit and bring someone on who can add something different. But I don't think it's anything to worry about. I think Greenwood and Bellingham... Well, unless they're injured, 100% being a squad for the World Cup next year. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, given that I was asking for a more attacking team under Southgate and he did it yesterday and we drew 1-1 with Hungary, maybe he knows what he's doing. But, yeah, I don't know what you think. Yeah, um, I'd agree that it's nothing to worry about, but I'm very much thinking that these two players are clearly going to be a part of England squads for many years to come. So the quicker you can integrate with them, with the current squad, the better. And there's not a lot of international breaks before the World Cup in 2022, before everyone gets uh, 
gets together. So uh, the, the the quicker mm. you can integrate them, the the better. I think with with Greenwood, I think Ollie touched on something about you know managing those players, the young players, that like in, in terms of rest and stuff like that. But okay, Greenwood has played every single game until now. But moving forward, when Rashford is back, realistically, you've got um, you, with United's array of attacking talent, he is going to get a lot of rest because yeah. we're going to have to rotate. He's not going to start every game. You know, if Rashford does come back in, and I think Rashford is going to be, he's going to start most games when I he's fully so. up and running. Um, so, and, you know, Jaden Sancho, you can't afford to play him, his big money move. So I think he's going to get a lot of a lot of rest. And um, so I don't think that's going to be an, an issue in terms of managing his time and he's a young developing lad and just not, not overplaying him. With Bellingham, yeah. I think it's, it's more ridiculous with Bellingham than... I mean, this is a kid that's played in big Champions League quarterfinals yeah, against quarter Man finals. City, yeah, and looked the best player. Like, yeah, looked... he was great. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. So to kind of manage him in terms of like psychologically and and uh, and stuff like that, I, I, he's definitely up to the task. He's the pressure he can manage. So that that yeah. one's even more ridiculous for me. Uh, he will get more game time. So maybe they're talking about. Maybe there might be a decision there with rest for uh, for Bellingham, but you know there's not the decision for that decision. Same decision for Saka, who's going to play every game for Arsenal without a single yeah. without a doubt. Foden, um, it's obviously Pet Roulette is probably going to get more rest, but I mean Saka is going to play every single game. So yeah, it is very it is a strange one for me. I would like to see him in the squad, but ultimately, as you say, they will get integrated eventually, and. They're so good, both of them. It's it's going to be undeniable to leave them out of the squad very very soon. Yeah, um, like, but when I mean when you look at the bench yesterday, sorry, I just got it up, yeah. and the two midfielders on the bench are Henderson and Ward Prowse. Like, why wouldn't you just take? I mean, especially I've I've just noticed that Calvin Phillips isn't in the squad. I'm assuming he's injured. I didn't know that. So you've literally you've only got three central midfielders, and you're still not calling up Bellingham. It just, it just, and you've got like five, six defenders on the bench and, and two keepers. It just seems a bit mental. Like I said, with the Watkins thing, comparing to how long he's going to be in the squad for compared to Greenwood, like James Ward-Prowse, is he going to be in that 2022 World Cup squad? Probably not. Yeah. So what's the point in taking someone? I get like the sentimental thing and giving them an, an you know, like a, a competitive start for England, like he got against Andorra and, a, and stuff like that. But pardon, it's not a charity. Like, yeah, exactly. Gonna... That's what I mean. I don't get the point of this sentiment of calling up players for the sake of it when you've got good young players that you could bring in. They might not play, but they're going to travel. They're going to connect with the team and build up a relationship with them. Know what it's like to play for England. Go to the game, sit on the bench. So you know, get used to it. Because if you don't, if you say for Greenwood and Bellingham, if they have the best season of their lives and are starting for England in the World Cup in in the winter next year and have not played any of the qualifiers or barely played any games for England, then how can you expect them to succeed when they don't know anyone? They haven't formed a relationship. They have one, they haven't been at England training to know how we're going to play. I mean, I know they'll have it. We'll, we'll get onto the World Cup schedule in a bit, but it doesn't look like they're going to have any time to prepare for the World Cup before it. It looks like pretty much you're going to finish your last game for your club, get on the plane, have a bit of a sleep, and you're playing the next day near enough. So I don't get how it's going to help. It, it's, it's bizarre, but... Um, like like we said, I mean, people slag Southgate off about everything, and he seems to usually be proved right. So maybe he'll be proved right with this, and I hope so. But I just, I just, it's it's a bit baffling. But you know, we'll let it slide. Yeah, 
So um, a big talking point of the England games was not actually the football on the pitch. It was uh, the Hungary match and it was marred by... I mean, in the away fixture in Budapest, uh, there was it was there was racism. There was there was uh, bottles chucked at. I think it was Sterling, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Just cups chucked, bottled, um, and we had very similar kind of controversy in the uh, in the in the home fixture. Um, and you know, they the boo in the knee with the with signs up. So I just want. To, to touch on that and give your kind of thoughts on on that, obviously, I think I, I know what what your reaction is going to be. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it it it's just grim, isn't it? And it it doesn't make this any worse or better because obviously it's abhorrent and disgusting anyway. But I was actually listening to a part of a podcast on the way home today, and apparently because of the current COVID restrictions, no one from Hungary can actually enter the UK. So the Hungarian fans that were there doing that yesterday reside in the UK, which, I mean, doesn't make it any better or worse because it's disgusting either way. But when you think that these people live in this country and are walking the streets and some of us might see them going to Asda tomorrow, it does does make it a a little bit worse. But like I said, it's disgusting anyway. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just bizarre. And I think FIFA and UEFA and all the governing bodies in football have something to have to give a decent answer for stuff like this now. Like you see they got they got the free game ban the other the other week, I think. So when you play games at home now, they have to play without fans and behind closed doors. Which is a step in the right direction. But I think the the fans don't care. And we all know some certain FAs like if some if something happened like that and England fans did something like that, then you know that the English FA would care about it. But the Hungarian FA in Hungary as a country could not give a shit. Mm-hmm. about the racism that goes on there and that what they give other players when they come to play in their country they just don't care and that's why it'll never change because the government in that country probably agree with half of the ultras that are at the game i mean they're the they're prime minister's a dictator and a fascist which doesn't help either so he's probably has a similar views to their fans um but i think the next step is just kicking them out of tournaments yeah. Like, I don't see why it should be tolerated anymore. You know, someone's... I mean, you've got... It's not even like it's a minority. Like, a game in England, I mean, we've got our own problems over here. You might get some people at a game being racist and saying racist things. But like you said, that that game against Hungary in Budapest, it was a whole end of a stadium. It wasn't just a few people. It was a good two or 3,000 fans. All but, like, People were saying they were just doing it when any England player got the ball. But if you were watching the game... It was obviously when a black player got the ball or Sterling got the ball. They'd all start whistling, all start chanting. Um, so it's not like it's just a minority. That's at least a quarter of a stadium racially abusing a player. And if it's one person of 10,000 people, it's not on. But it's a massive issue. And I don't think until they give proper punishments rather than just a tiny fine, which to a, a country like Hungary and Europe is nothing anyway, then nothing's ever going to change. So kick them out of the tournaments. I think that should be done now, not if it happens again, because it keeps happening. And then maybe people will learn from their actions. But like I said, until the Hungarian FA and the, the government in Hungary start to wake up and give a shit and ban people from these games, and it's going to keep happening. Because in this country, I mean, we're not the most advanced country in the world at all when it comes to stuff like this. But if it happened at a United game on Saturday then that, play, that person will be banned from Old Trafford for life. Or I know it's at the King Power, but you get my point. Whereas, obviously, that isn't happening in countries like Hungary. 
and and something does really need to change because it's 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 just disgusting. I don't I don't understand it, and we don't need to get into the whole thing about why the racist or whatever because we can never comprehend it. But yeah, it's it's just grim. It's it's horrible to see, and players shouldn't be subjected to that. And even with them beating, like punching police in the face. Like apparently, it all started because one of the the fans racially abused a steward, yeah, a steward that's probably on minimum minimum wage, and he's there getting racially abused and trying to get battered by hungry fans. I mean, it's not acceptable in any walk walk of life, but they don't deserve that. Yeah. And then, I mean, they're literally battering police to the point of where they had to retreat to the concourse of the stadium because they couldn't handle them. So that just shows how how um severe it is. But yeah, I'm guessing you've got a very same similar view as me but yeah yeah very similar i mean i wouldn't probably not go as far as banning but certainly because i, I think that obviously you know, affects the players and the, and the team which you know it's not it's not yeah but fault. yeah but uh, just to jump in on that you see the players as well i don't think they i'm, I'm not going to call the players racist because i don't know i'm just mm. trying to bring my camera back into focus but um you see after the hungry get the away game a few whenever it was a couple of months ago they all go up and chuck the ultras the shirts and give them claps and stuff. Yeah, that's true. So I know they're not condoning racism because they probably don't see it that way. But to go up and do that, that doesn't help either. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not saying that the hungry players are racist. I don't know about any of their lives or what they're like. But that doesn't look that doesn't paint a great picture. And that's what I mean with the, the view of that whole country down to most people that we see just aren't asked about it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? If if, yeah. if at a United game, say there was a whole end abusing a black player, being racist, do you think the likes of Pogba and Rashford would go over and clap them and give them the shirts yeah, yeah. after the game? They wouldn't, would they? They just yeah. wouldn't. So it's just a bit bizarre that they kind of seem... Like, in the game yesterday, they went over and clapped the ultras and stuff and stand there for five minutes and, give, and big them up. So I don't get why they do that. I'm not saying the players deserve banning, but I just think... It shouldn't be a question of if the players deserve banning or the fans that aren't racist don't deserve to see that because they don't. But sometimes you have to do things to affect change. Yeah. And it might seem severe, but the bans, the stadium bans for a few games, the the fines for a few grand don't seem to work. So the only one step up from that, unless there's something else I've forgotten, would be banning them from tournaments and from playing. Yeah. But like 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 I said earlier, that's never going to fix a problem of systemic racism in Hungary and other countries. Mm-hmm. It's just going to put a plaster over it and mean that we don't get to we won't see it. But sadly, it looks like it's never going to go away. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So yeah, I mean, what what I would do in at least initially would be just longer bans, literally longer stadium bans, like yeah. every single game behind closed doors. Uh, nobody allowed in the stadium for a full year. Bring them back yeah. after a year. As soon as that happens again, um, one more year. Like I know yeah. nobody deserves to be like the victim. Like after the years been uh, after the years up, if they come back and do it again, you know, maybe two years. You know, just just a ridiculous. Don't even give them the opportunity to to do it. And yeah. surely if and. Because the, the the fans obviously love football, going to the games. Well, I don't know if they love football or just actually just the just being bells at, at the football. To yeah. be honest. But um, but yeah, that take that away from them, and then I know because you're not going to change them culturally, as you touched on. You're not going to change no. them, uh, them culturally. So at least not 
allow them to express their feelings to the players because the players don't don't deserve that. So yeah, even if they they are racist, like if you if you keep banning them, then there will be people that are sitting next to somebody reading messages or saying, oh, you know, stop that because you know we don't want to get banned, even though that's not the you, you want the reason why they're not doing it because they're not racist, but yeah, but still, yeah. It would still be it's still better and it's not yeah not it achieves something yeah um but yeah that that's kind of my thoughts on it in booing the knee i mean it's just like yeah it just it, it's shows... just bizarre it's yeah. just bizarre like you get the argument from people like well your free speech is that you get to take the knee so we get to boo it but can we not just all accept people i mean you know i, I take the knee don't it doesn't affect like I, I prefer them to take the knee because it might affect change and it might do something but if it, if it does or not just accept it do you know what i mean like you might not think it's going to do anything one of the players that played for england last night might not think it's going to do anything but it's just called respecting people's opinion and not being a prick that's all it is yeah like yeah that's the be all and end all of it there's like there's people the argument like oh there's black players that don't even take the knee anymore yeah they they I take they're not taking the knee because they don't think it's doing anything. You know, it's not it's not advancing the movement that kind of thing as you've just said. Yeah. But you think like Wilfred Zahar is going to boo the knee? He's not going to boo it. He's not yeah. going to go against it. Going against it is the is the the racist thing. Thinking it's not going to be effective and not uh, and and not wanting to do it yourself. I think uh, that I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, yeah. Booing it is is yeah. I, I just don't see is. why they're that bothered. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I just don't seconds. get it. That's what it is. Two yeah, oh, that, yeah. I just, I don't see why it affects them that much. It's not like they're asking the whole stadium to get down and do it. Yeah, exactly. No, I just don't get why them watching a footballer take an e for what is it? I think it's about seven seconds or something like that. Yeah, if that before before a, a whole hour and a half of football, mm-hmm. which doesn't it doesn't affect at all. I just don't see why they're so bothered by it. But I think we all know the answer as to why they're so yeah, bothered exactly. by it that yeah. we don't want to admit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so I'm going to move on from England now and then talk briefly about France and one player in particular in Raphael Varane, who um, obviously big, big money move. Well, it wasn't even big money move. We got him for a yeah, bargain. Yeah, 35 million. That's peanuts <laughs> yeah. nowadays, mate. Uh, uh, to United uh, in the in the summer. Came off injured for France. It's now come out since then that he's going to be out for a f- few weeks going into this tough spell of fixtures for United. So, yeah, give your... Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, it's not great, is it? Like, the one thing I do have to say about it, though, is Bayern Lindelof, who were nailed on, I assume, to start against Leicester on Saturday, did cost 35 million quid each. It's not like we're playing Phil Jones and Chris Smalling, is it? Mm -hmm. So they should be able to do okay and should be able to fare against a downbeat, bad, bad, bad Leicester side that's in bad form at the minute. But it's just not great having your captain and your other best centre-half out when you're going into the toughest run of the season by a country mile. Um, but I think he should only be out for one or two weeks. And I think Maguire should be back around the same time, maybe when we're getting towards Liverpool and City. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not great. And for, um, Lindelof and Bailly have a decent reputation and cost a lot of money, but... I actually don't mind Lindelof. I think his his passing is massively underrated and he's the best passer in that defence, even with Varane and Maguire, yeah. from what I've seen. His long passes to Rashford when he was fit were mental and we got a few goals from that last season that never seemed to get mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, 
He's not for, for a centre back that isn't very physical or good in the air. He is at least by he's not that, but he's quick and can recover. Lindelof doesn't even have pace, yeah. so you know it's not great. So if if it was Lindelof next to Varane or Maguire, like Varane could cover for Lindelof and he's a bit more physical. Whereas him next to Bailly, who as much as I love him and he seems a lovely guy, is so erratic and irrational and he's just always got an error in him. And I know people say that about certain players, but every single time you watch Eric Bailly, he cocks up at least once a game. Like he'll do a fucking roulette in his own box or try and scorpion kick a player in the head or do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's just always got something in him. And like I said, I think his character kind of helps him with that. Because when you see Lindelof make a mistake, he gets lambasted. But when it's by, it's like, oh, it's happy Eric Bailly. No context Bailly on Twitter will tweet it out. <laughs> and no one seems to care. And I do, I do like him, but I mean, he's been at the club five years and he's failed to hold down a starting place when we bought in two other centre-backs, three other centre-backs since we brought him in, and he's behind every single one of them in the pecking order, so it does say a lot. Um, but we gave a new contract for no apparent reason a few months ago, So, and he was moaning when he signed it that he didn't get played enough, so it's time for him to fucking do something about it and, and stake a claim as to why he should be in the side, but I don't think he will, Deck, to be honest. What do you think? Yeah, um, like I say, I mean, it is... Well, this is why we gave him a new contract, I guess, because, I mean, he's he, yeah. for this kind of situation. But, I mean, it obviously is a little bit of a crisis, not one that you would expect coming into the season. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Varane's going to be a massive miss. I think the biggest thing for me is at set pieces, defending set pieces without... Yeah, well, without, he's bad enough as it is now, to be it, fair. Yeah, we're, we're bad enough as it is. I think this season we have improved at defending set pieces from the season before. Um, yeah, maybe. But, to have like organized uh, Maguire's the organizer. France, I'm uh, sorry, uh, Varane. I'm not sure how good his English is, but I'd still rather have him as. Like, seemed a, okay, yeah. It's, I mean, in his interview, it seemed like he'd be able to pick up instructions yeah. and follow a game plan. Yeah. He's not fluent, but he's got enough. He, I'm sure he knows enough to. When Maguire says, "Oh, you fucking dickhead, you stand there," I'm sure he knows what he's saying. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure he can. He is obviously uh, a leader. He's been around leaders. Been in Champions League winning sides. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I'm sure his defensive organisation, his set pieces as well, would would be good. Like but to think so. you know, yeah. Lindelof and Bai do not. They're not very commanding just by looking at them. They clearly they look pretty passive. Um, yeah. So yeah, Lind- I am worried yeah. about set pieces. To be honest, that's the that's the main biggest worry for me. Um, yeah. Before we move on from that, I know we I sent you this yesterday, and I said that I wanted to touch on it. I don't know if any of you guys have seen this, but just talking about internet players getting injured on international duty so there's been some something leaked yesterday that has said the qatar world cup in 2022 will start on the 21st of november and players will be released from their clubs on the 14th of november so they've got a week to prepare for a month-long tournament after playing a relentless first few months in the season to already make up for this lack of fixtures for the next month when they're playing the world cup which is just insane so like i was saying earlier with players getting prepared for the world cup Usually they have a couple of weeks off to go on holiday and then a two, three-week training camp with some friendlies leaving, leading up to the tournament. They're literally going to have to pack the bags the next day, fly to Qatar, which for some people from England, it'll be like a 10-hour, 12-hour flight or something mental. And then you've got five days to recuperate and get your whole game plan and tactics ready for, for a World Cup where you might play ten, like eight, nine games. It just seems absolutely mental. And I mean... 
you got Arsene Wenger proposing a biannual World Cup as well as the Euros, and people wanted to do the Super League or play an extra game in the Premier League season abroad to get more money. And I know footballers might have it easy compared to people in the real world, but it's no coincidence that people are getting injured and stuff keeps happening on international breaks when the playing from is just so relentless. It's just ridiculous. So they're going to fly to Qatar, play a four month of the World Cup. And if you get say England got to the final in that, you might get a week in between. Whereas opposed to in a normal Summer World Cup, you probably get three or four weeks off and join your squad late. Whereas I presume to get all the seasons finished in time for the summer break, they'll have to come back and play more games after that than they usually would. Which is just, it's just, it's just mental, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I mean, how, how this got through, especially like after we saw that Platini and Blatter only accepted this because of bribes and got sacked and were going to get in prison for it and they still haven't changed it. And the fact that thousands of people have died making stadiums yeah. for that and, and all sorts. I just can't believe it's still happening. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of football fans, me, myself included, assumed that it was just going to change and that it, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. But it seems that UEFA and FIFA or whoever have helped people forget about it somehow and glossed over it and were just... It's just mental. I mean, a World Cup in at Christmas is weird enough, but, I mean, for the players, it must be, it's going to be murder for them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, massively agree with that, obviously. I think I was in the same boat as you, really. The, never thought it would happen. And then the closer and closer it comes, it's like, I think this is actually, yeah. actually going to happen, which it's obviously it is the massive bribe that was that, that was taken by Platini. I wonder what actually happened to that, that money, whether they were able to keep it or whether did they just get massively fined or, or what. I don't. I, yeah, I'm not sure. What yeah. Qatar or do you mean Blatter, Blatter and Platini? Yeah, with the the, the Qatar bid you, that came along. I'd like to hope it got took off them. Yeah, a lot I mean, of money as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd like to think it got taken off them. Um, yeah. And I'm sure their reason for hosting it there was so that they could expand football across the world. But uh, yeah. we all know the reason. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be funny. I think I think Qatar got panned four 0 yesterday. Because they're in a qualifying group, even though they're already qualified as a host nation. Well, so let's hope we get drawn with. Cause, yeah, because every player that every country that hosts a World Cup plays in it automatically, don't yeah, they? Yeah. So it's gonna it's gonna be hilarious. I hope we draw them. That'll be brilliant. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's 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 just a mess, isn't it? Like Thibaut Courtois, like you mentioned on how pointless the um, third place playoffs are in any competition, never mind the Nations League. Mm -hmm. Did you see that he came out the other day in an interview? And actually said how ridiculous it was, and that all these all these people are just doing it for money. They don't care about the fans. They don't care about the players or yeah. anyone. And it's just true, isn't it? It's all it is is just to get a bit more money and a bit more sponsorship money. Yeah. And I mean, that's it's a sad way that football's gone nowadays. Yeah, and it's like uh, they're all as bad as each other. UEFA and FIFA, like oh yeah, yeah, UEFA aren't saints at all. Yeah, no. they are, the Super League's ridiculous. I can't believe that. Uh, I can't like I can't believe it's happening. And FIFA trying to add in like extra games. UEFA trying to add extra games. It's sort of like in a bi a biannual World Cup as uh, uh, as well. Yeah, it's, like, it's all after like extra games. And to be honest, I think like apparently, even though there's so much everyone protesting against the biannual World Cup, apparently it's got a really good chance of being pushed through because yeah. it's only them within the within UEFA that are actually going to be voting for it. So it's like, yeah. Uh, it's, well, it's it's, it's, Veng, it's Wenger, isn't it? Fucking as if we haven't had enough of him now. Just go yeah. away, Arson. Just go to the beach and just you know 
go to Hawaii or something and chill out and try to ruin football. But yeah, I think... It's 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 this war between UEFA and FIFA. They're not co-aligned at all. They hate each other. Mm-hmm. So what FIFA are doing with this Wenger biannual World Cup idea is try to get one over on UEFA and probably bin off the Euros. Which it's a war between the two to try and make money because it. I mean, it's ridiculous that we've got two the biggest two governing bodies in world football don't get on with each other and they try to battle against each other for money. It's ridiculous. And like you said, UEFA condemned the Super League and I mean. And then in the end, gave United, City, and all of them a combined fine of about twenty p, and then try, and then they're trying to reform the Champions League in a couple of years and change that so we play more games as well. Yeah. So it's not that these are the patron saints of football; they just saw that they weren't going to get the money themselves and wanted to sort it out so they could get the money in a few exactly. years. And that's all it is. It's not. No, no, no one gives a shit, do they? Yeah, I mean, let's get let's 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 be honest. In ten years, all the games will probably be played on a Jeffrey Bezos fucking spaceship on Mars or something. <laughs> like that's the way it's going. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. So let's move on to um, back to football and to uh, our star man himself, CR7, netting a hat trick uh, against Luxembourg. That was his fifty eighth career hat trick, and obviously he broke the. Uh, the international goal record last month, 111 international mm-hmm. goals. I don't know what he must be on that. Well, 114, you'd imagine. 114, you'd think yeah. that. <laughs> um, but yeah, give, give me your thoughts on, well, Ronaldo. Right. You don't even, you, well, I mean, what, what is there well, to can, say? I mean, can, can I be international a bit, career. Can I be a bit depressing here? Yeah, go for and it. And like not big him up as much. Okay, yeah. Like, I'll, I'll I, I love... I, yeah, I love Ronaldo, right? Him and Rooney growing up, going to Old Trafford were my absolute heroes. But I'm just a bit bored of it. I'm yeah. just bored of it. Like, I've, you scroll down United's Twitter today, and nine out of ten tweets is about Ronaldo being the goat or him scoring. You didn't see that for Sancho for getting an assist, did you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, yeah. it, it it's just I, I I love him. I'm not saying Ronaldo shouldn't beat United or we need to get him out of the club for the greater good or any of this shit. But it's just like. It seems like the whole of Manchester United just centres around Ronaldo now, mm-hmm. which after the when he signed in the first game, great. But I mean, it's been like two, three months, and yeah. I don't know. It sounds really depressing, and I sound like a bit of a you know a boring bastard. But I just it's great. I mean, yeah, he's got these goals, and it's but it's not really news anyway, is it? We know what he's all about, and mm-hmm. I'm not surprised he has broken that record. Um, but yeah, is that what you're saying? Yeah, Pinaldo, get him out, <laughs> Pinaldo. He's sucking the life out of the club just like he did at Juventus. Get him out, <laughs> gonna get Oli the sack. But nah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a it's a great achievement. I I love it. I love him. I love him. But I don't, I'm just a bit tired of hearing about Ronaldo all the time, even when United aren't playing. Yeah, yeah, it's true. The social media team definitely do milk it. And can I yeah. say this is a this is a direct message to uh, United Store, whatever it's called. Um, oh yeah, I've heard this. I've I've had a literally. I ordered my Ronaldo shirt straight after he signed. Literally, I think it was on mm, in September. I think it was like September the third. It was September the third. So I've had a month and ten days. Still hasn't arrived, lads. I mean, that shows you the kind of demand that that it is bad. It is, but I mean, it is bad. But yeah. It shows you the amount of demand that they had. I mean, he, he sold like the record amount of shirts, didn't he? Like in, in the first in four like, hours. Outside, I think outside of North American websites, he sold the most. United sold the most of anything in a day ever. 
which is is mental. I mean, maybe you should have gone to um, Sports Direct and help Mike actually out. <laughs> yeah. Ordered it off there instead. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I would probably got there quicker. But I thought the you know the official store that'd be the the quickest place. But yeah, you would have been easier going and getting one when we went to the Villarreal game yeah, last week. Yeah. You should have gone in and asked if you could pick it up and took your online receipt. Yeah, you have done yeah, it for probably. You. I don't know. Is it like a material thing? Is it? What well, I don't know. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, I don't. Have you have you ordered the like authentic one? That's like an extra fifteen quid or not? Uh, I don't think so. Because I always find that bizarre. Like you pay like so for the bog standard shirt with a name on and the badges, it's getting towards eighty quid. But then if you want the authentic one that the players wear, which is a little bit nicer, it's like an extra 10, 15, 20 quid on top of it. Yeah, I definitely didn't pay it's for ridiculous, that. Ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. You have to get on to him. Yeah. Send him a strongly worded email. I'll have a chat to Ed Woodward next time I go to the game, ask him what's going <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah, that's it. You sit close enough, doesn't he? He sits in the... Uh, oh, yeah. Sky, yeah, yeah. He? He, he mixes with the scum in the East stand, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, speaking of uh, another star for United making his return, uh, it is Marcus Rashford back from injury. Uh... Beans, 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 beans. <laughs> no, hey, Neymar, Son- sunny in it. Um, your name, all right. The man, <laughs> the man himself back again. I mean, and what do you reckon to his return? Obviously, how much do you think he's been missed in this season, and and will he kind of help improve United um, coming back into the squad? Well, he's got a new trim, hasn't he? Which always means a footballer's going to play better. Yeah, which I always see on Twitter. Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad he's back. I think we've really missed him, to be honest. Um. We'll see how he is. I mean, I'm hoping that because I know he's had this sh- this shoulder surgery, but apparently there was another problem with his ankle, which apparently, if you believe the media, is miraculously got better since he's been resting because of his shoulder, which probably isn't true. Mm. Um, but I'm just looking forward to having a fully fit 100% Rashford back again yeah. because it, I think it's been a long, long time since we saw that. Like, I think he injured his shoulder or his back badly. I don't even think it was last season. I think it was the season before, towards the end, and he was out towards the end of what would have been nineteen twenty or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could tell in a lot of games last season when he was playing for United in England that he wasn't quite at the races. He wasn't making as many runs. He wasn't running as quickly. He wasn't trying to beat men as often. So I think it'll be great. I think it'll be great. I think he should be straight back in there. I don't know if he'll be straight back in against Leicester, having not played any football for three or four months. And I think that'll probably be the right call, especially when you've got Sancho and Greenwood, you can play anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see him back. I'm excited to have a fully full-strength team. And I think when United have a full-strength team, Marcus Rashford should be in it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I I echo everything that you've said. I think one thing I would say is the problems with Manchester United this season haven't been that Marcus Rashford isn't there. I don't think he helped no. with the, oh, no. the, the oh, no. kind of... Uh, with the problems that have occurred, I think on the counter attack we've just been exploited on the counter attack uh, so much. And actually looking, uh, looking at the Varane signing with Varane coming in, we thought we could kind of push. Like this was my thought anyway before that you could push higher up the pitch. We would be less prone to the counter attack because because uh, would yeah. have a centre back there with pace. But it hasn't really been in the case, and it's not really been it's not been Varane's fault. Like. It's a no, weird one because it hasn't been Varane's fault. I can't look at a counter-attack goal and think, okay, you know, oh, Varane should have done better than 
should it should have done better there. Obviously, there was that one mistake versus Villarreal, but they didn't even score. Yeah, it didn't anyway. result. I think he was offside anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He um, knew that, didn't he? But yeah, Marcus Rashford, he doesn't improve in in that area, but certainly have that firepower and option. And he, yeah, a bit he of directness. Was, before he got injured, yeah. he was playing up absolutely before he had the shoulder injury he was playing absolutely unbelievable if we can get that marcus rashford back it doesn't matter mm-hmm. about our defensive problems that is going to still win you games yeah yeah it'll be good to see him back fully fit it's directness that he offers when sometimes greenwood is a bit greedy or sancho's not quite up to it and isn't playing well i think he offers more than any wing we have at the minute I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of him. I'm also a big fan of his his and Shaw's relationship on that left-hand side. I think last season and the season before when Shaw got back into the team, they struck up a really good partnership. Like you'd see Rashford collecting a ball, beating a man, and they'd play Shaw in on the underlap or the overlap, which with Shaw's form this season, which we're not really going to go into, but he hasn't been great. I think that might help him as well. And it'll just give us another option, won't it? Yeah. Whereas like now you you could bring Greenwood off the bench or bench or Sancho off the bench as well as Rashford. I mean it can, it can only help. Yeah, I agree, and that brings us into kind of with Rashford's turn. It brings us into talking about the uh, the the Leicester game, and it is going to be at three p.m., which means in the UK uh, as it currently stands, it will not be on TV um, mm. because there is a. a, a a 3 p.m. ban from being broadcast live on television. I, I believe it's to do with so people go to their their, their local team. I find this very yeah. difficult to talk about because we're from a standpoint where um, our, we don't rely so much on kind of match day revenue, actual taking money from the stores as much as like a yeah. you know a League Two, League One club. So it's difficult for to talk about from from our perspective and probably we're talking about it from a greediest perspective from a like you know for example for me i would love to i would love to have a tv package it's just so frustrating to see that um the 3 p.m kickoffs being able to be broadcast in the us but but not in the uk but again yeah it's being self from a selfish point of view because i know um i know other teams do rely on on their ticket sales but i do wonder how much difference it makes because people just find a way to watch the game anyway. Yeah, I was going to say that. Like, I mean, when you're talking about ticket sales and revenues and helping out, do you mean lower league teams or do you mean like lower Premier League teams? Uh, more oh, lower yeah. league teams that that's right, almost so like, all the revenue. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a stupid notion, isn't it? I get that it might be a good, it might be based on goodwill and people have the hearts in the right place. But if United are playing Leicester at three o'clock on a Saturday and my local team are playing at the same time. Do you think I'm going to find a stream to watch my team that I've supported all my life play or go and watch some amateur football? Yeah, I might do that anyway. Like, I've been to see smaller games, and that's fine. But I'm not going to do that over watching my own team play. Yeah, Because if it, if it was 20 years ago, when we only had television, like, how this I'm guessing this, obviously, I'm only 23. So I'm guessing this rule's been in place for years and years where there wasn't streams online or you could get a crap fire stick and watch any game you want. But nowadays, where you can literally go onto your... I can give them a Chrome browser right now, type in Man United versus Leicester on Saturday and find a stream like that. Yeah, like It just seems a bit pointless. And then they're losing out on revenue because of that and they're putting a lot of resources into banning streams rather than just putting them on TV and making money from them. Yeah. What is crazy so, is think about how much money that the Premier League makes um, 
as it is, like from TV revenue and stuff like that. Yeah. Imagine if all the 3 p.m. in the in the UK was was broadcast as well. Like they would make it even even more money and kind of they'll kind of there'll be even more of a disparity in the amount of money that the Premier League clubs uh, make compared with like other other leagues around uh, Europe and the world. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think like another reason you might not do it is because you think, oh well, if we're putting every Manchester United game on TV, then they're not going to have any fans going to the stadium. But I'm not going to suddenly tear up my season ticket and not go because we're on Sky every weekend. Do you know what I mean? And I don't think I think most fans of most clubs wouldn't do that. Do you know yeah, what I mean? And I think that, it's a huge yeah. commitment. You wouldn't do that, like you say. You would just watch a, a, a stream, like just because they're not on Sky. It's a massive commitment for you to go on a train. To go to the ground to watch the team get a season ticket to to rinse and repeat that literally uh by bi- bi-weekly or 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 even weekly for the champions league or twice Train a week it, even yeah. sometimes so for you to do that is uh it's not going to change if, if if all the games are, are being broadcast no exactly but um it's just one of them old-fashioned rules isn't it that they made years ago probably before the war and they'll just carry on for the till the end of time because People don't change things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so now, actually, talking more in depth about the game. So, um, as a little bit of a preview. So, how do you think this game is going to go uh, against Leicester? Are you optimistic uh, or, or not? Well, just before that, I don't know if we're going to touch on it later, but I'll just mention it now about Brendan Rodgers. Um, yeah, go for it. Yeah, if we're going to bring that up. So, news is broke tonight um, that Brendan Rodgers. This is from Dimazio from Sky in Italy. Brendan Rodgers is in pole position to become Newcastle's new manager. Newcastle will pay Leicester £16 million to buy him out of his contract, which is a lot of money. Um, I don't know if he's doing this because it isn't going great at Leicester in the minute and he might think he might jump before he's going to be pushed and save his reputation. I don't know, but um, I think it'd be a good move. I think it's it'd be a decent manager to get in. I'm surprised that he turned down Spurs, but will accept the Newcastle job. Um but yeah, obviously that could play a factor in the game if Brendan Rodgers isn't Leicester manager by Saturday, which would be mental, but apparently they are going to get rid of Steve Bruce before the game, which I thought, given that they've owned the owned club for nearly a week, they would have done by now if they were going to do it, but apparently they still are going to do it if you believe Sky Sports, so yeah. that could have some bearing on it, and I don't think it'd be a good one, because I don't think it's, it'd be like Newcastle getting rid of Steve Bruce where the players would be relieved, I think probably a lot of the Leicester players like Rodgers, I know some of their career to him and how he's changed Leicester around from when Claude Puel was there a few years ago. But um, yeah, talking about the game, Leicester aren't in great form, but neither United. I think Leicester is somewhere like 12th, 13th in the league. I think they've got like seven points from six or seven games, which really isn't great. So it looks like they're pretty much out of the Champions League running already. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're still very dangerous, aren't they? Tielemans, I think, is a fantastic midfielder that we should have signed personally. Um, they've got a decent bat line. I mean, Soyuncu, to be fair, hasn't been in the best vein of best vein of form this season. Obviously, Fafana's out, but they've still got a very capable team with top six standard players in there. Jamie Vardy looks in decent form this season, still going at the age of like 33, 34, which is mad. They've got some good forward players, Ashley, um, not Ashley Barnes, Harvey Barnes. I think going into the game, the general consensus will be that Leicester are in a bad run of form and United should walk all over them, but... I really don't think it's going to go that way. I think it'll be as close as it would have been last season when Leicester were battling for the top four because they have still got a very good team and we shouldn't go there expecting to turn them over just because they've had some bad results recently because you you see a lot that teams don't perform but when it comes to the big games, it kind of evens itself out again. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I, just having a look, because it was in my mind and I was just checking to, to confirm it. Um, so Leicester have beaten us the last twice they faced us. So obviously in the Premier League last season, then obviously in the FA Cup. Uh, but going back to kind of the the big, important like games that matter from memory is last day of the season in that top four race. We managed to beat them yeah. at King Power to get that. So, I mean, in the big games, uh, when the pressure has been on us, we, we have been able to perform against Leicester. I mean, and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think this... Just going into this season, my thoughts were that there's going to be a big gap between the the top four teams and fifth place, and I, I thought it would be Leicester. Um, yeah, still, you know, got it could be. Yeah, I mean, it's easy. not looking great, but they're probably like what six points off. I think yeah. Everton are fifth on fourteen, and Brighton are so the six seven points off top four. Yeah. So it's not a crisis just yet, but it doesn't look great. Yeah, for for touching on Brendan Rodgers and the the manager job at Newcastle, for me, uh, I think it's a it's a weird one. Like, I mean, Newcastle, it's going to be years before they are challenging. I I know I get it. It's, it's a nice pro- project, and you, I think, say Brendan Rodgers does go. I guess he's thinking if I don't go now, I might miss out on the opportunity two or three years. Like you say, the not have a great start is he thinking is he not backing himself to turn this around because i think if you have confidence and belief in yourself surely you've it's still very very early days so to to turn this around like um and i think i think a manager i think like a graham potter coming into to newcastle like a very good manager plays a good style of football and um, I think the fans would welcome in as well. I think yeah. for for the first couple of years, get to get them to to develop the team, get lots of uh, transfers in. Um, you know, changing the squad almost completely. I mean, there's there's and I, I don't want to talk too much on Newcastle, but um, but yeah, changing the squad completely and then bring somebody like Brendan Rodgers because I think you have to back yourself to to be able to turn this around and stay at the, the top level. Like if his player stays at Leicester for another couple of years and gets, you know, a, just can't break into that top four, I think he'll still be a manager that, that, that Newcastle would probably look at. Yeah, it's not like he's going to, unless he gets Leicester relegated or something, yeah. Yeah. Well, just to um, add to what I've just said, apparently he's now ruled himself out of the Newcastle job running. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I thought, literally I thought just, it was a strange one, to be fair. Yeah, well, I literally... Well, to be fair, Di Marzio and Sky in Italy are usually first to the news in the Premier League before Sky Sports here are. Yeah. So it probably is true that they wanted him, but um, I've seen a tweet from someone from The Telegraph, which they're usually quite reliable people like that, saying he's um, committed his future to Leicester and that he said he's not interested in the job. Yeah. So we'll see. Maybe he's saving face and maybe he will go. But after spending 10 minutes on that and me bringing it up to look an hour later and see that he's not going to bit embarrassing. But, yeah, you know. that's brilliant. I mean, he did, he did obviously know, you move know. from Celtic to Leicester mid-season, so he's not... He's not adverse to dropping a club in the shit, yeah. is he, if it benefits himself. Yeah. So we'll see. You know, maybe he'll, maybe he'll have the United game at the weekend and if they get panned then maybe he'll jump ship. I don't know. But... um. I think Potter's the right choice for Newcastle. As like you said, it's it's more a United podcast and we don't have to go into that. But yeah. I think for a long-term project and to get a manager in who plays good football and has a good philosophy, I think Potter would be the ideal appointment. But we'll see what they do. Yeah. And so for and my kind of thoughts on the game as well, like you said, they've got very dangerous players. They are out of form as, as well as... Well, United aren't in great form either. 
Um, no. But yeah, very dangerous players. But I, I do think we'll get get the job done. Looking at the run of fixtures that we do have, I think this is it is going to be very. If we get a loss here, it makes e- the other fixtures yeah. even more <laughs> even more worrying, doesn't it? Um, yeah, because if if like Chelsea win, then it'll be five points off after eight games. Yeah, which won't be great. Yeah, yeah. going into face. Uh, City Liverpool. and Liverpool and Chelsea in a few weeks, Arsenal. Yeah, exactly. So this is a, this is a must-win game. Obviously, uh, it's still early in the season, but it still is it is a must-win game considering the the fixtures that we do have uh, coming up. But yeah. I think we I think we will do it. Um, yeah, I'm going to go for two. I'm going to if we do score predictions, I'm going to go two on United because I'll always back United. Yeah, yeah. I think I it'll be a close game. One thing's for sure: we'll concede. Um, Oh fuck yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so, no. I mean, if we couldn't keep a clean sheet to like Southampton and West Ham with Varane and Maguire, then we're not going to keep one away to Leicester with fucking Lindelof and Bayi, are we? Let's be yeah, real. Exactly. And so, to Just go a little bit different it. from you, I'm going to go with a three-one to United. Well, that'd be more exciting. Let's yeah. hope for that. One. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, that is it for the the first episode of Devil in the Detail. Hopefully, you did enjoy. If you are watching on YouTube please do give us a like and subscribe. Obviously, it's very early days, so that like, any comment, any subscription that you can do would help us out a a lot. So, yeah, please do that. Um, And if you're watching on Spotify, please give this a a five-star rating and give us a little comment, bit bit of feedback, hopefully positive in the the, uh, below. And press is good. Yes, we're going to join um, next week, much of the same. Hopefully, it'll be reflecting upon a big Manchester United win against Leicester. Um, have you got any closing thoughts, Dil? Um, not too much. Just thank you all for listening. Um, these clips, some clips in the podcast will also be uploaded on TikTok, which is also devil in the detail. So if you come over here from following me and Dick on TikTok, then check that out. Because if you don't, for any reason, want to listen to a conversation between us, I don't know why you would, wouldn't. But um, smaller clips will be condensed and put on TikTok for you guys as well. So go drop that a follow. That'd be great. Um, and yeah, as Dex said, sub to the YouTube channel, drop a like on that, and then um, listen to the podcast, give it a five-star rating if you fancy. Even if you don't like it, just find some kindness in your heart to try and help us out. But yeah, apart from that, thanks thanks for listening, watching, whatever you've done. Appreciate your time. So I'll see you guys next week. <laughs>